Well, hi, everybody. It's so good to be together today, even though it looks a little bit different. And to all the common grounders across the city, hi to you. And to any guests or family who are joining us from wherever you are in the world, we're so glad you've chosen to be with us today. Um, my name is Louise Gibbon, for those of you who don't know me. And as mentioned, together with my husband, Alan, and our two kids, Anna and Ryan, we form part of the Common Ground Bosch AM family. And here's a picture of us, a recent pic. It was taken at a friend's online kind of Zoom party. We were team Proudly South Africa as we entered the quiz. We didn't do very well, but that's okay. Um, and Alan and I have been part of the Common Ground story for as long as we've been married, which is 18 and a half years. And so we've enjoyed this journey and so much change along the way. Uh, this week, I'm sure many of us experienced a level of change and things adapting and adjusting as we move to a new level of lockdown life. We have a grade seven in the house, so we had anticipated that she was going to go back to school and then she wasn't going back and then she is going back. So it's been quite higgledy-piggledy. Um, and I just want to do a quick shout out to our educators um, a special mention to you because I think in this season you're having to deal with so many um, adjustments, so many different factors and we just want to say that we respect and appreciate you freshly in this season. Today we come into what might be a familiar passage for many of us. It's the parable of the sower. And one of the reasons I'm excited about coming to this passage today is because it touches on one of the key aspects of our Christian faith, our discipleship that process where we learn and grow and become increasingly like Jesus as we follow him. And as a church community, when we came into 2020, we felt this emphasis, this focus on this idea of the kind of people we are becoming. And Kyle, a couple of weeks ago in his message, reminded us that as we follow Jesus, it's about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that he would do. And so we felt we had that focus already as we came into the year. And then with um, COVID-19 and the realities of lockdown life, it feels like that emphasis has just been amplified. And this question of who am I becoming is even more essential. So as we think about our lives right now, what kind of a person am I being? You know, what kind of a person am I being in this space, in my work community, in the home that I live, in my family, on my social media page, in my marriage? What kind of a person am I being? What kind of a person am I being while I face a loss of income, a reduction in income, or even a loss of a job? What kind of a person am I being even while I experience increased levels of loneliness or isolation or anxiety or fear? What kind of a person am I being? What kind of a person am I becoming? I remember right at the beginning of the season, Rigby challenged us to keep asking ourselves this question. What is it like to be on the opposite side of me right now? When scientists conduct research, they often use Petri dishes. And what they do is they use that technique of withdrawing variables from the environment. And so they use these Petri dishes to control the environment, and then they watch carefully to see what happens in the Petri dish. And to a large extent, lockdown has created a space for us to all be in our own Petri dish. As individuals, as groups, as families, we've kind of been isolated into these Petri dishes and suddenly our lives are under the microscope and we are faced with ourselves and aspects of ourselves. 
And I'm sure you can relate to this because maybe like me, you've become aware of just how ungodly you are and just how much work still needs to happen. Um, I think when you are in the same space for 24-7, your own selfishness, your own flaws, your own weaknesses become a whole lot more apparent than when you can dilute yourself over people and places over time. I heard this great quote the other day from Martin Luther King Jr., He says this, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. It's the time of challenge, the time of crisis, the time of hardship that defines who we are. These are the moments to see what kind of a person am I being and what kind of a person am I becoming. So let's go to today's passage, which speaks right to this theme. And today, instead of simply reading the passage, we're actually going to watch it in video format because we want the passage to kind of come to life and for us to really be able to visualize it. So let's watch Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 20. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path, where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed, sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life 
the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. It really is a powerful parable, and this parable is inviting us today to think about the condition of the soil of our hearts. So as I move through my message, maybe just have that question at the back of your mind. What is the condition of the soil of my heart? There are four parts to my message today. Parables, posture, seed, and soil. And the first two are going to help kind of unpack and explore the second two more fully. We find ourselves at the start of Mark chapter 4. Uh, last week, Luke reminded us about the kind of community that Jesus was building around himself, the kind of community that he wanted to create. So we see here that Jesus is growing in influence. He's growing in popularity. And verse 1 tells us that uh, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. There's this huge crowd following him. And then it tells us he taught them many things by parables. So let's start there. Parables. Often when Jesus is teaching, he teaches using parables. This is the first parable that we've come across in the book of Mark, but it's not the last. We're going to explore a whole lot of parables as we go through. The word parable means to put down two things side by side. So Jesus would often put down something natural, something out of everyday life, something that existed that people knew about, and then he would use that to draw out a spiritual truth or a spiritual meaning. And so he would start with something known and move people to something unknown. And so this parable today, we have a farmer sowing his seed. We have plants and pathways and soil and uh, thorns and crops. These are everyday things that the people he was speaking to knew all about. And he was going to use these everyday things to draw out some spiritual truth, some spiritual meaning for us. So the parables are those things that are not straightforward. They're not literal. And as we've journeyed through Mark, many times we've seen Jesus speaking quite directly. In the synagogue, in other places, he speaks plainly. But here he uses a more kind of indirect teaching. And he does this, speaking in pictures, to really penetrate people's hearts and people's minds. He wants them to think. He wants them to remember what he is speaking about. He wants it to resonate, and he wants it to have a long-term impact. And that's the beauty of the parable. You know, on the one hand, it's so simple and sticky that we, we just remember it. We can't help but remember it because it's so simple. But on the other hand, there's these layers of meaning. And as we um, unpack the parable or as we come back to the teaching at different points in our journey, we find something new. We find something fresh. And so today, whether you are not yet a Christ follower, maybe you're still exploring about Jesus and you want to find out more, or if you're a seasoned follower of Christ, today's parable has got something for you. The parables are also all about the kingdom of God. And each time Jesus teaches using a parable, he's unlocking for us an aspect of the kingdom and what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom isn't a place, it's more of an action. The kingdom is God's powerful activity 
and when we see um, God's royal rule at work in the world. And so Jesus, the king of the kingdom, comes to kind of bring this power, bring this activity down to earth. He breaks in to earth to bring the kingdom and to touch each and every aspect of our lives. This kingdom is not just about bringing forgiveness to people. That's a wonderful thing, but it's just the starting point. And the kingdom is not just about bringing healing. And remember this crowd that's gathered around Jesus, that's why they've gathered, because he has been healing and he has been doing these amazing things. But the healings are meant to draw attention to the king and to the kingdom. So this parable that Jesus gives us today, he unpacks it, he explains it fully. He doesn't always do that. And next week, Paul and Lee are gonna unpack some more parables for us. Uh, lamps, seed, and when, we, when Jesus uses these pictures, these metaphors, he's showing contrast, he's showing similarities because he's inviting us to kind of engage, to interact, to lean in with what he's teaching about the kingdom and about the king. So Jesus today in speaking in this parable is revealing how we enter the kingdom, how we enter the kingdom, how we access the power of the kingdom. And this brings me to my next point, which I'm calling the posture of discipleship, the posture of the kingdom. What is this kind of posture of discipleship? In this passage, we see that the kingdom of God comes from hearing. The kingdom of God comes from hearing, hearing the word, being careful to hear, being careful to pay attention, being careful to respond. So the first word that Jesus says in verse three, he says, listen. And then he goes on to say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. The kingdom of God begins with hearing. The kingdom of God begins with listening. And it's listening well, listening deeply. You know, the ability to kind of take it in and to receive and to engage with it, to understand. It's our receptiveness to the things of the kingdom. So let's read from verse nine. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seen, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven." So we have this large circle of listeners, this crowd, this multitude that have gathered around Jesus. And they're kind of on the outside and they show this superficial interest in Jesus. And then we've got these insiders, this inner group, um, the 12 and those around him. Uh, they are the ones who are close to Jesus. They are the ones who show a deep interest in Jesus. In fact, in chapter three, Jesus called them his spiritual family because he said, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And those on the inside are willing to have their lives impacted by Jesus. And this is a recurring theme through the gospel of Mark. Those on the outside, those on the inside. And it seems that Jesus uses the parables as a way of separating the insiders from the outsiders. And to the insiders, he will give the meaning of the parables as he's about to do in verse 14. But to those on the outside, he doesn't explain the meaning. Why? Why would he withhold the meaning from the outsiders? 
Well, Jesus' answer is to quote Isaiah 6 verse 9. They may be ever seen but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they may, might turn and be forgiven. So these words are often misunderstood to mean that Jesus is saying, well, I don't want to tell them the meaning of the parable because they might believe. And if they believe, well, I wouldn't want that to happen. But that's, of course, the wrong interpretation. What he is saying is that although they see, although they hear the message, they fail to understand it. They fail to receive its meaning in their lives. And Jesus doesn't tell them the meaning of the parable because it would be wasted on them entirely. They are blind, they are deaf to God, and nothing he can do or say, for now at least, can change that. It's not that he's trying to blind them to the meaning of the parables. He's suggesting that they are blind already, they are deaf already. And so when Jesus speaks in parables, he's looking to see who will lean in, who will engage, who will um, draw near. He's not using them as a way to push people away. How people respond to the parable is a sign of how they are going to respond to the king and the kingdom. Remember, the parable is inviting us to think about the condition of the soil of our hearts. So Jesus is saying, do you hear? Are you listening? Do you hear? Are you leaning in? Jesus is more likely to reveal himself and the deep meaning of his work, of his teachings, of his parables, to those who have ears to hear. Our level of responsiveness determines how much is revealed to us. In my first job, I was a high school English teacher. And um, this level of receptiveness, this level of responsiveness is very easy to spot. So I can clearly recall those students who were open and engaged. They were keen to learn. But I can also clearly recall those students who weren't receptive at all. And in fact, there's one moment that sticks out in my mind. It was near the end of the day. It was my grade 10 class. And right in the back corner, one of the um, boys put his head down on his desk to sleep while I was trying to teach. So he did receive a very clear and direct wake-up call that kind of echoed down the English corridor at Pioneers High School because his posture of non-receptiveness was very obvious to me. The posture of the kingdom is our open responsiveness, our willingness to hear, our willingness to engage and to lean in and to apply. And if you're not yet a Christ follower and you're still exploring who Christ is, then that really is the invitation, that is the posture to adopt, to lean in, to explore, to ask questions, to find out more. Now let's take what we've learned about parables and posture and use it to unpack the meaning of this parable. And we're going to first explore the metaphor of the seed that is used. It says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And in verse 14, it tells us the farmer sows the word. The farmer is whoever communicates the message of God. It could be God himself, Jesus, or any other person. And the seed that has been sown is the message, the word, the truth of the kingdom. And this is Jesus' central message, which we heard back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15 says, The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. The good news that God was doing something new in Jesus, through Jesus, and we're all invited to be part of that. This word, this message is described as a seed 
It's not a boulder. It's not something big and massive that kind of smashes the ground and breaks it open, but in an external, superficial way. No, it's described as a seed. There's this internal work happening that's a lot more gentle. It's a lot more gradual. The, the seed is organically, gradually, internally, gently transforming the soil. And the very nature of the soil is changed. It's this deep, life-giving work because out of the soil is going to come this garden, this crop, this forest. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of listening in on a Zoom leadership call with John Marcoma. John Marcoma is a pastor in the US and he's written the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which many of us have been reading. And he was sharing his perspective about what God could be doing with his people in this season. And I deeply resonated with what he was saying because he was talking about the fact that our biggest kind of hindrance to our growth in God or our maturing in Christ-likeness is our need for control. Even if it's just perceived control or the illusion of control that we think that we have. And that's why the season has been so unsettling for so many of us because we tend to lean on control or certainty or planning. And in the season when you know, that's been shaken and we have little or no control, we can't lean on those things anymore. And in this place of what he calls holy uncertainty, we actually come to a different position, a place of not control or rigidness or tightness, but a place of surrender, a place of yielding, a place of kind of letting go to Jesus. In Luke 9 verse 23, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. This denying self, this dying to self, isn't this gritty, like self-determined, self-effort thing that we do. But like physical death, it's more of a, a release, a letting go, a yielding, a surrender. And John Marcoma shared how kingdom life is where we lay down ourselves, we lay down our control, and we repent and we rethink. We trust God, and moment by moment, we live in a space of inner yieldedness to God. And we ask, what's God doing, and how could I cooperate with Him in this moment? How could I cooperate with Him in this season? Cooperate with His Word, cooperate with His Spirit. And I was reminded of that conversation as I thought about this metaphor of the seed, because this is what kingdom work in us looks like. This is what this posture looks like. And the metaphor of the seed is so powerful because it's internal work, it's transformative work, it's gradual, it's gentle. And we know that in the seed, there's such potential. We see in this parable that there's potential for growth and new life and multiplication that comes out of this one seed. Now we're going to look at the crux of the parable, the soil, the condition of the soil of our hearts. And as we move through these soils, jot down any thoughts or any responses that you have, because we're going to land this section with a time of personal reflection. Let's read again from verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
we see here a hard heart, a closed heart. It seems like the message reaches the intellect only. It's kind of theoretical. And so we immediately forget the good news. Satan comes and takes it away and keeps us from receiving it. Although we hear it, we don't let it infiltrate. We don't let it penetrate or change us in any way. How do we know if we have a hard heart? Well, ask yourself, has there been a time when it felt like the Word of God has personally penetrated my heart? Maybe a time of personal discovery where as I opened up the Word of God, it felt like the Word of God opened me up and I learned something new about myself or about the Word or about God that I hadn't seen before. If you haven't had an experience like this, then maybe ask yourself, has my heart grown hard? Maybe right now, before we move on, you're like, yeah, that's me. I think that's me. You know, I've heard this message. Maybe I heard it long ago. I heard it. Maybe even I understood it. But it's never penetrated me. It's never changed me or touched me or impacted me in any real way. If that's you, keep listening. The second soil. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Here we see a shallow heart. So the response to the word is only emotional. We receive the word of God with joy. You know, something in us springs up. We receive it with excitement even. even. But it's this kind of shallow or temporary understanding. We move beyond the theoretical. We feel like God's opened our eyes, but there's not enough root to take the heat of the sun. And so when loss or hardship or trouble or suffering comes, we turn our back on God. Well, how do we know if we have a shallow heart? Think for a moment about how you perceive Christ, how you perceive his role in your life, the impact that he has in your life. Do you want a blesser, but not a savior? Maybe you're looking for help and relief, but you're not looking for salvation. You are, maybe you see Jesus as a kind of a, a service provider. He's there to, to meet your needs and your desires. He's there to help you achieve your goals and your agenda, to help you build your kingdom. Tim Keller puts it like this. You see yourself as a sufferer in need of a solution, but actually you're a sinner in need of a savior. Verse 18, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This soil is those who've genuinely received the message but we fail to bear the fruit of the message in our lives because of distractions or wrong priorities. So the best way to describe this is a heart that's divided, a heart that's crowded, where your Christian life kind of gets choked out. Maybe you expect Christ to share control with you. You know, you struggle to give him complete control where he has lordship over everything. So maybe there's a section of your life that's kind of out of bounds, for example, you've committed your life to Christ, but the way that you express your sexuality or the way you handle your finances is not particularly honoring to him. Or there's a relationship or your work or another interest that gets all your time and all your energy and all your attention. 
And so there's very little left over for God and for the things of God. And this like new plant of what God is doing in your life, you don't give it the attention and the care and the priority that it deserves. How do we know if we have a divided heart? Well, simply think about how you spend your time. What do you give your energy to? What do you give your attention to? What do you think about? What do you worry about? How easily this can happen, though, because we are distraction-prone people. You know, if I think about the reality in my own life, when we went into that lockdown period initially, I quite enjoyed the simplicity of life and that things had slowed down substantially. And one of the highlights for me personally was this unrushed time in the morning. And there was time to be with God and to read His Word and to pray in a more kind of unrushed way. And then on the 1st of May, one factor changed. Exercise between 6 and 9 a.m. became an option. Just that one factor. And suddenly that spaciousness felt crowded out. And it's been harder. I found it really harder to make that time and for it to feel unrushed and spacious. We are distraction-prone people. I love how Psalm 86 puts it. The psalmist is writing, "'Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name.'" An undivided heart. The King James Version puts it like this, "'Unite my heart to fear thy name.'" As an aside here, I think one of the most valuable spiritual insights that this COVID season has given us is for us to really be able to identify what our distractions are, what our idols are, you know, where our sense of security or well-being comes from. When we moved into lockdown and this new reality, often the things that we missed the most were an indicator of where we were getting our worth or our value or our security from. So did I miss being able to control and plan things? Did I miss comfort or convenience? Did I miss hanging out with my colleagues because they gave me a real sense of affirmation? Uh, Perhaps I've realized that my faith in a working economy is actually stronger than my faith in God. Or I have really been putting my faith in my employer or this company that I work for to provide for me rather than seeing God as my source or my provider? What am I relying on to get me through? Am I overindulging in something, in food, in work, in social media, in medication, relying on this thing to get me through? It's the Petri dish and the microscope all over again. These things give us such valuable insights into the condition of our hearts. So let's move on to this final soil. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Here we see an open heart, a responsive heart, where we receive the message, we give ourselves to embracing it and responding to what God is doing in our lives. Remember that posture of discipleship, that space of openly, responding, engaging, embracing what God is doing. So how do I know if I have an open heart? Well, the result of that openness is this fruitfulness, this crop, this abundance. We see here an abundant crop being produced, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. 
That is the effect. As they hear the word, they accept it. They produce a crop. Remember, this parable is inviting us to think about the condition of the soil of our hearts. And here we get told what's going to show the condition. It's that crop. It's that fruitfulness. It's that abundance. That's what reveals the open heart, the cultivated soil, the fertile soil. But never forget that you are the soil. He is the gardener. Often in these moments of introspection, we can become so aware of the thorns and the rocks and the weeds that are in our garden. And we want to try and pull those out. But actually, he is the gardener. He is the one who will remove those things. And in John 15, we, we're even told that he is the one who produces the fruit. It's not about us producing fruit out of self-effort. He will produce the fruit. So we get to go to the gardener. We get to go to the Word, to be in the Word, to be under the Word, to be inviting the Spirit to work, to reflect on, to embrace, to obey. That is what we get to do. But, but why is it so difficult for us? Well, on the one hand, it seems so passive. And for us kind of control freaks who are achievement-driven, who are results-orientated, it seems so passive. You know, we'd rather weigh the fruit. We want to measure the crop. We want the 10 steps to a healthy soil so we can kind of tick them off as we achieve them. But it's so much gentler than that. It's being with Jesus. It's becoming like Jesus, doing what he would do, saying what he would say. Whether you've identified yourself today as having a hard heart, a shallow heart, a divided heart, an open heart, or maybe even elements of all of them, the posture of change is the same. It's that open surrender. It's that space of inner yieldedness to God. So it seems difficult because it's so passive on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's not passive at all because it requires an all-in response. It requires our best energy. It requires complete commitment. They're things we need to practice and get good at. They're things we need to let go of. They're bad habits that we need to break. We need to continually come before God. We need to continually repent. We need to continually rethink. And often we come to ask forgiveness, forgiveness from God, forgiveness from others because we get it wrong. This parable has invited us to think about the condition of the soil of our hearts. As you look ahead to, to today, to this week, to the season that we find ourselves in, what is it that you need to do to freshly align yourself with Jesus? How will you practice this posture of openness and yieldedness? We're going to take a moment to reflect. I'm going to pray for us, and then there'll be some music playing where we just invite you to allow the Spirit of God to work the Spirit of God to speak to you. Jot down any thoughts that you might have, but let's respond to God and His Word today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You're inviting us to draw near, to come close, to lean in. And when we do that, when we have that responsiveness to You, You, you engage with us and You speak. And that is what we are inviting you to do with us today.
as we think about our hearts, Lord, as we think about the condition of our hearts, the condition of the soil, won't you speak as the gardener? Won't you come and do what only you can do? We're reminded of that beautiful verse in Ezekiel 36, which says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Come and do your work, Lord, we pray. Amen.